This episode of the Modern Drummer Podcast with Mike and Mike is brought to you by Dream Symbols, manufacturers of handmade, hand-hammered symbols at very affordable prices. So please follow them on Facebook and Instagram. Just search for at Dream Symbols and check them out. Holy hell, how did this podcast make it to 130 episodes? What's up, guys? Mike Johnson here from Mike'sLessons.com and my co-host, Mr. Mike Dawson, will be joining me shortly. We have so much to talk about today. After Mike and I get all caught up, we'll talk about using syncopation to play in the style of Elvin Jones. After that, we'll talk about our featured artist, Mr. Ulysses Owens Jr. Then we'll get into some gear review and we'll talk about the Dream Naughty Salsa. We'll get to a bunch of your listener questions and as always, we'll give you our picks of the week. And heads up, my pick of the week makes Mike laugh at me. <laughs> to his face. Right to his face. Oh, I love it. How are you, buddy? Good. Welcome to episode 130. So we had, who was that? Mike Lomax bringing us in with yeah. his funky, super quick halftime shuffle. That's big kid stuff right there. Great job, Mike. Super cool. Oh, I wanted to mention, so we, we still have a few more of these to get through, but anyone who's going to send in their beats for intros and outros uh give me a little bit more like what gear you're using what's you know what's kind of the concept behind what your plans that we give us a little something to talk about um yeah there's been a couple that come in and that will be dropping in soon where where it's there's a little bit more info it's kind of cool so yeah just let us know i want to know what kit you're using how'd you record it what's the beat what's the time signature if it's something weird you know Right. Whatever. Help us out. We don't want to have to do too much homework, okay? We don't want to have to really listen. We don't want to have to think. I Here's what I want to know. I just want to know which ones are real and which ones are fake. Yeah, and that's cool, too. If you're using an electronic kit, just let us know. If you program it, that's cool, too. Just let us oh, know. Oh, yeah, I doing. don't care. I just want to know because I'm driving myself crazy over here. I'm like, really? Oh, Is that yeah, a real yeah. snare? Because we were questioning uh, our friend Drum Animity, and he, he, he proved us right. Um, proved us wrong. Yeah. He showed a video of him actually playing the beat. Pretty cool. Which was awesome. Super Fantastic cool. stuff. What's going on in your world, buddy? What's going on in my world? Um, gosh. Well, what am I doing? Oh, I'm, I'm back in the jazz phase, and I couldn't be happier. Saw for that. For no really reason cool. than just because I missed playing my bop kit. <laughs> totally. That's so cool. What it. is your current bop setup? Uh, the one that I use for kind of like the classic sound is a it's a early 70s Slingerland black rap. Okay. 12, 14, 18-inch bass drum. Snare drum I swap out. I'm currently using the Modern Drummer Maple 40th Anniversary yeah. Maple Drum. But yeah, I, I just love. I feel like that that kid is kind of my home base. If I could play that all the time, I'd love to. Although I never get to play it <laughs> because I'm always okay. playing. You know, I'm always recording stuff that just needs a, a a typical you know rock sounding kit. And I just play so differently. You know, if I get behind a tubby kit, I just play beats, which is cool. Yeah. which is fun. But put me behind a bop kit, and it's like I'm just exploring sound and melodic and ideas. You. Yeah, and I'm just, I feel like I'm just able to, I don't feel like I can be super creative on like a real punchy modern kit. Right. I just all I just default into Matt Chamberlain, Steve Jordan mode, and that's kind of sure. It. I don't know how to be creative on that well, sound. Well, yeah, I think the, the kit is what brings out the sounds. That was one of uh, the parts from Carter's masterclass here at the camp was he was just showing how tuning the snare in different ways completely changes what he plays cuz yeah, right. when it's cranked up you know he can do certain things and when it's really just thuddy he's not going to play a certain way and the other thing that he showed too was uh which I think the campers got a lot out of was keeping the tuning the same but adjusting the snare wires on the bottom uh-huh. and showing like okay when I really ratchet them up and get them super tight I'm going to play Steve Gadd styled things I'm going to play little five stroke rolls but when they're you know real gushy and loose I'm going to really take my time and let each note breathe and so that's just the snare drum you do that to the whole kit and yeah. I remember uh, being in in Ireland and that was a really big turning point for me as a player was playing Mark's kit which was his bop kit mm-hmm. and him saying like dude you sound a whole lot different on my kit than you do on yours but you sound more like who you truly are on mine than you do on yours and it was like okay oh, well, really yeah yeah he was pushing me to like go full bop tuning and everything oh. um, he was like I've never heard you play like this before and it was like, well, my kit wouldn't do this. It doesn't, <laughs> yeah, right. it doesn't pull this out of me. It's not like I make a, an actual decision and move over to Mark's kit and say, now I'm going to be creative. It's just it just happens. The whole drums. Yeah. yeah. I mean, the drum set is more percussive to me than it is 
what I think of as a classic kick snare hat right. tom thing and so it's not beats and fills anymore it's music yeah the, on an instrument it's the bass drum usually is what does it for me if it's a long note i you know and i'm and i can't dig into the head it just creates a whole different right. thing i have to use it more like a tom uh, yeah that and so here's a question about snare drum tuning i have a real hard time being comfortable on really tight snare drums i feel ah. like they're just it just sounds so thin and brittle but I've heard other people, like especially like what a lot of modern jazz guys do, their snare drum is really tight and the wires are really tight. Like every time I've sat on one of yeah. the, those kits, I'm like, how can you be expressive on this thing? It's like the snare drum is I, just yeah. so, so tight. When I heard uh, Terry Angoli on the Blackout album, it was like, is that a 10-inch yeah, his snare, snare with a Kevlar head. <laughs> yeah, right. Like, <laughs> is that a 10-inch marching snare? It's a, It was just, it was so cranked and yet... Like you said, so expressive. Yeah. Uh, the one thing that I notice playing on a tight, tight snare is my volume comes way down. And mm. every, I mean, ghost notes are now accents. And I'm just able to get so much out of it. I also notice that I come back towards the rim a lot more and get a lot of timbali styled rim shots instead of rock rim shots. Because the overtones are so cool. Yeah, it's yeah. fun. And, and if the whole kit is tuned that way, those snare drum overtones match up with the rack tom overtones because I'm finally able to get some rim shots out of the rack toms and the floor toms mm-hmm. or rack tom and floor tom and all of my rolls come into play. So I notice I become much more drag centric and rough centric and roll centric when things are tight because I I don't have to muscle it up. So it, it the volume isn't I don't need to be there with the velocity because the heads just are like trampolines. So interesting. Yeah, it's. I mean, my volume comes so far down when I'm playing that stuff because it's just fun to let the drums sing. And then if I really pop something, it really stands out. Yeah, uh, but I, I mean, for me, I have a hard time with. It's usually when the wires are tight, like that. For me, yeah, I'm just, the same. Like, it chokes me off. I, I prefer like a Billy uh, Billy Higgins kind of a snare sound where it's loose wires, maybe a tight head. You know, the battery head might be tight, but the wires are loose, and I feel because right. I want the kit to kind of resonate. And that like really tight sound where it's like every note is completely dry. I have Once again, it just that. makes you play a certain way. Yeah. And uh, there's nothing like having tight wires and getting that five stroke roll into the downbeat of one. Like, yeah, where with loose wires, then I'm going to actually drag my hands a little and get somewhere in between Steve Gadd and Zigaboo. I'm just not caring about the precision because... I want it to have this little slop to it, but when the wires are tight, I don't want anyone to hear that my rolls are sloppy. Yeah, so you I can play hear very every, precise. Every subdivision. <laughs> yeah. I find that I actually play yeah. tighter when the wires are tight because I'm just I'm thinking like, all right, every note has to be accurate. You can't do the sloppy yeah. thing. No, it's really. I mean, Greg Hutchinson. I think we solved sound, something here. Yeah, I mean, remember the uh, Columbus days when yeah. when Hutchinson played? He sounded beautiful on that kit. I remember t- tapping it. And I'm like, I, there's no way I could feel comfortable on this. The snare was just. What was so that? A uh, Sakai or? Um, yeah, it was a Sakai kit at the time. Um, yeah, I don't remember. I think it was the the trilogy series or something. But it was a wooden snare drum. But the wire, I, I was played just that so kit tight. and yeah, it was it, it was full bop, you know, yeah. and uh, and that was kind of his role at that festival. Was even though we had Steve Smith there, we had uh, John Riley. Uh, but his role there was like the the modern bop guy, yeah. you know. So he his kit went full modern bop, uh, and uh, I remember too. My signature ride symbol was pretty new at the time; it had only been out for about a year, and I was so excited to bring it over to his kit and be like, "Can you? Can I hear someone mm. with actual touch play my symbol, please?" <laughs> and then it was like, "Oh, it's it's way more dimensional than I've been using it as. Like that's cool." So uh, yeah. he he was amazing, and talk about breaking down the stereotype of jazz snob what a sweet sweet guy that was was just as kind to ray luzier from corn as he was to john riley you know yeah, um, yeah he's a true just a, a, yeah it was it was awesome so yes anyway Good, I'm, buddy. I'm kind of in the jazz i'm not quite gone that far i'm i'm still kind of more of a maybe called a soul jazz sound where everything's a little soul bit a little bit looser we you can kind of okay. fall into some james brown beats and not have it feel really strange nice 
That's like kind of where I'm like at. It. I'm just messing around with that. So who, who knows what happens? Anyone wants to start a jazz trio? I'm available. Let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is a great audience for that. You're going to have two other drummers call you and be like, I can play uh, bass drum. and uh, That's good stuff. And well, uh, we launched. Uh, so I put out a video recently for the Mike's Lessons family about uh, developing finger strength and just developing their fingers in general. Because mm. telling a student hey, you need to use your fingers. You're playing all wrists, and that's why you're having these speed plateaus. That's not enough, in my mind as an educator, to tell someone what the problem is. You have to then give them the keys to unlock the doors. So then it's like, okay, well, if you want to develop your fingers, here's some exercises. So I made this five-minute video of like, here's your first thing you wake up, do this with me. And most of it doesn't doesn't involve having sticks in your hands at all. Okay. And... I made it their homework assignment to film the entire five minute workout with me, but have, you know, have their camera rolling it. These are the funniest videos I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> Watching these people go through forearm pump and wrist pain oh my. Uh, <laughs> and, and not and not nothing damaging. I mean, nothing I'm teaching them is damaging, but they're getting to use their fingers in ways where it's like, oh, I've, I guess I've just never activated these muscles. And really, the one thing that's crazy about drumming is there's so many little mini motor functions and mini motions that do not show up in any other aspect of your life. So unless you find a way to practice it, you're never, like if you think about pulling the sticks towards you with your fingers, you don't wave like that. Yeah, you don't, there's no time you do that. Movement. Unless you're, I don't know what you're doing. What would you be doing? Typing maybe? I don't know. <laughs> like, like literally, I can't think of anything other than like, show me the money, show me the money. <laughs> There's just like no, there's like nothing that you do that does that. So anyway, so there's a five minute workout yeah. that I gave to the Mike's Lessons family people, the people that have the all access pass, and their homework is to film themselves doing this. And even though it's torturous, I want you guys, family members, I want you guys to know I'm not doing it to torture you. That was a total side benefit for me to watch you be in pain. I didn't know that was going to happen, <laughs> but I promise this is the stuff that will really activate your fingers. And then all of a sudden, and Mike, you probably went through this maybe in grade school or junior high, but you have this double stroke roll and it's stuck at 120 for like six months. And then on one day your fingers activate and then you push through like 30 or 40 BPM Yeah, totally. um, just in a day. Yep. And then it's like, Oh, these were always there. They just didn't know how to be a part of the party. Yeah, I remember I remember exactly when it happened. I was in Allstate Orchestra playing, I believe, the cymbal part that year, which meant I sat around for eight hours and played three or four crashes. Right. So I had a, one of those, one of the guys had a, what are they called? The moon gel practice pad things? The, oh, I totally remember that. Yeah. The giant thing. The and it wasn't what we consider pad. moon gel. It was like the moon pad. Moon pad. And it yeah. was, yeah, it was like, it was like jello with like cellophane on top. Yeah, it was like a giant moon gel with plastic on top of it in, yeah. in a practice I pad. That. So I, he had that back there. So I just worked on uh, the rudimental solo tornado all day okay. long on that pad. And the, with after, you know, a couple, we had like a, three weeks of rehearsal something like that by the, by the time we got to the concert I'm like dang my doubles I got this piece down <laughs> totally not yeah. even thinking about the, the actual music I had to play I was just right. working on my double strokes <laughs> yeah just something just happened where I didn't feel like I had to muscle everything out it just started to float even on that moon right. pad yeah but that's was, so funny I could totally see your director being like Dawson and you're like yeah I'm here 286 <laughs> 2 3 4 287 2 I'm counting my measures yeah, it was such I know a, that I have a crash on measure 482 that was that was <laughs> literally the 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 spring that I realized that I'm not cut out to be a symphonic percussionist like Toad, oh, all I that downtime, I was like, man. And then you have to be so focused to hit that crash symbol perfectly and not get the air pocket. And you have right. to know how to read the conductor so you don't play early because you have to play behind the beat because everyone's slow in an orchestra. Like that stuff, I was like, the heck with this. I don't need to get anxiety right. for one, <laughs> one hand symbol crash. Man, I, I, just, I just knew right away when I, because when I started doing all this stuff, especially when I got to high school, that's when you have electives and everything. And I started having, being able to make my own schedule for the most part, besides the core classes. And I had zero period jazz band. I had, you know, maybe third period concert band or, or symphonic band, then fifth period marching band. And then, or marching would be after school. Mm. And I just knew that throughout that day of these classes that I chose that all involved drumsticks. 
I just really didn't want to do the symphonic one. It was like, oh, my God. Because it was, it was like, it's actually what, it's exactly what it's like to be in a rock band, except for you don't get to ever play the drum set. Because in a rock band, you sit around and yeah. watch everybody try to write, and then they're, it's like, and, you know, maybe we should go the diminished, oh, dear Lord. And so it was just a, an entire hour of my director trying to get the clarinets to even yeah. You know, play the right fingerings. And, I mean, just silly yeah. stuff. <laughs> I'm like, oh my god. I mean, that's why we all know how to bounce our sticks off of a floor. Like right yeah. when you walk into a specific office space, you're like, oh, I could totally bounce a stick off yeah. this carpet. And there was definitely I a lot of holes carpet. in the drop ceiling. In the ceiling. Front. Yep. From the pencils. <laughs> yeah. And, and yeah, I would I would always get the pencil stuck straight in that thing. Um, but yeah. Anyways. Oh man. So yeah. Uh, so <laughs> there we go. Get your Finger fingers strength. involved. So you know I, what though? I have another, uh, speak- I have another theory yeah. that I wanted to, I mean, this is one that goes down to these, like make up whatever excuse you need for sucking. But mm-hmm. I think your hand, the biology of each person's hand is so different. And there's some people mm-hmm. that their fingers just move. I mean, I think of like someone who could be a surgeon versus someone who could be a great construction worker. Like there's something right. in your, in your hands that give, make you more precise with your finger movements. And I get I, I get super disagree. jealous when I see guys that have like perfectly flow flowing hands. I'm like, you know what? You probably didn't have to practice as much as me. It's a total right. lame I, excuse. But <laughs> no, it's not, man. I trust me, because I, I have students here that come to camp, and let's say if we're being generous, their skill level is that of an intermediate drummer, whatever that means. But their hands are far superior to mine. And there's just this buttery flow that comes mm. out of them in this motion. And I'll always ask, like, did you study? Like, were, were you with a rudimental teacher? They're like, oh, I've never had lessons. And I'm like, ah, oh, really, dude? Really? Because <laughs> yeah. I'm 30-something years deep into this instrument, and my hands are just like two giant bricks. But I, I do know, and there are people, the result is really what matters, because there are people that really never activate their fingers. They're kind of blocky drummers that are all wrists, and they have blazing single strokes. Yeah, it's true. just, to me, it's a lot of work. And it's a lot of oxygen being used to get that to happen. And there's there's just an easier way to do it. But the easiest way isn't the best way. I mean, Jojo Mayer has shown us all of the easy ways to do things as far as economy of motion and, and just being yeah. able to use the stick. But it doesn't always work for everything that everyone's going to play. So you have to find your own thing. I think the most important thing when it comes to technique, and this wasn't meant to be a technique uh, speech here, but the most important thing with technique is knowing what techniques exist and exploring them enough that you know whether or not they work for you. Mm-hmm. It took me about, I'd say, about a month to realize push pull was just not my thing. Oh, I just had a conversation but about that. I got to the point that I could do it so that I could say this isn't my thing. Yeah. I didn't just watch someone else do it and go, no. Like, I, it's like, well, I want to try it. I'm going to work it out. What, what was your conversation about? It was just about that. Like, is it worth? worth doing it was with uh bob foot he came down to a clinic i did oh, nice. in philly last week whenever that was it feels like it was a year ago yeah. i think it was last week uh and I, I just that was what i basically said was like i i tried it 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 has absolutely no use for me i'm not playing like up-tempo samba or anything where i need to play like super fast but quiet 16th notes i mean it's right. just not happening and, and i felt for me it's an awkward technique to where I can't control it. It just becomes the technique. Like I'm going to go into the push pull right. thing and I have no control over it. I can't break it up. I can't really make well, sure all the notes are even. And even if you could now, guess what? You get to start over with independence because you can't do push pull and put in. Now your ghost note on an E is going to come with the pull. Have you ever worked that out physically? No. Yeah, so no now thanks. you have to learn that. Yep, no <laughs> it's like starting over from scratch. So no I, I think. I think the the other thing that's really important is that the person that you saw do the technique is the example of what you want to be as a player. So if you watch Jojo Mayer play and you say, no, that's literally what I want to be, I would definitely get into his techniques that are allowing him to play that way. Mm-hmm. I just saw Meinl put out a video with uh, with Derek Roddy, and I haven't seen Derek Roddy play in years, but he's playing blast beats as fast as ever. And if I was into that stuff, I'd want to know, like, hey, what technique are you using for that? Um, Are you muscling that out or is there some gravity going on? Uh, So I think it really comes down to finding the people that are currently the example of what you want to be and then and then learning what techniques they're working on. So, all right, let's talk some education, some legit education, not our fluff. (laughs) We don't know what the hell we're talking about. Uh, So in the uh, current issue of MD, uh, in the March issue, you've got an article about using the book Syncopation, which uh, famously we could go back uh, to every week if we wanted to. 
Yes, and it's uh, famously the book that I insulted Jim Chapin with on his uh, deathbed, which <laughs> was awesome. <laughs> I'll, I'll never forget the, well, when I get to heaven, I'll tell Ted Reed you like his book. It's like, um, so anyways, uh, <laughs> That's that'll stick with me for a while. <laughs> anyways, uh, so using the book Syncopation to play in the style of Elvin Jones. Yeah, so we got this article by uh, Mike Alfieri. Who, it's his third party. He's on a few different of these bebop syncopation is what he's calling them. So it's different ways to use syncopation to play in a jazz style. So in this one, um, he's what he did was he transcribed a bit of Elvin's playing from the Coltrane record, A Love Supreme, and then kind of analyzing what he played. How could you l- learn to practice that way? So mm. I think anyone who listens to Elvin, the first thing you notice is he's playing a lot of triplets with the left hand. It's it's He's hitting that middle triplet. He's just kind of like constantly filling out the triplet in between accents mm. and stuff. So the first thing that Mike talks about in the article, which is something I haven't practiced for a long time, It's I think it might sound easier than it is, or maybe not, just depending. But you play the swing ride pattern, and you read the rhythms of syncopation with a swing feel, and then you fill in everything else with the left hand on the snare drum. So it's there's constant triplets going on, but you're playing the melody from syncopation between the right foot and left foot, and you alternate. So bass drum first, and then the left foot. <laughs> Can you see my face as I'm working it all out? I'm all like, I got I think Super I got crazy. it. Though. Uh, crazy. That's big kid stuff right there. So okay, f- let's go back a little bit because I've always wondered this and we don't really have any way to find out because the greats that we study most of them aren't with us anymore or a lot of the older jazz guys okay so that's the result uh, a love supreme or, or, or elvin style that's mm-hmm. the result but what do you think elvin practiced to get that i mean do you think he was going through syncopation the book was around at the time do you think his teacher had him doing these grid systems that's or do you think question. he's just singing and it's coming out of his body i think Ultimately, he, I mean, he comes from such a musical family. I think he's the youngest. I could be wrong. So I'm sure his, his older brothers are like, dude, just play the drums. Get on there. Swing. Figure it out. <laughs> right. Know? And that's, but that's crazy. It's like, well, then how, I mean, if everyone could do it, everyone would do it. And that's yeah. one thing we have to understand because I hear natural people all the time say, dude, just play. And it's like, yeah. No, you don't understand that you're special. Mm. And that's like Michael Jordan saying, dude, just hit your freaking free throws. Yeah. And yeah. then Shaq's on, like, uh, bro, I'm 7'9". <laughs> yeah. like, it's a straight shot. It's forward. It does, I can't even go darts. up with it. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. It's like if everyone could do it, everyone would. And when I hear people that I really respect and I look up to, I do exactly what he did in this article is I start to f- deconstruct or what uh, Jojo refers to reverse engineer the process and I figure out exercises to allow me to get to that point. Mm-hmm. But then I wonder, did this person do these exercises or did this person, yeah, is this just not. their art? Now I do, probably not. I don't know very much about Elvin's early days of, you know, taking lessons and stuff, but I do remember him saying in an interview that because someone asked him about his grunting, you know, cause if you can hear him kind of grunting right. all the time. And he said when he was learning to read music with his teacher, he would always grunt during the rests. That was his way of kind of keeping track of the rests. So you can kind of see how maybe this idea of filling in the snare drum and all the rests is kind of related to that. So he's he's playing the rests, literally playing the rests. Maybe maybe that's sort of a connection. I wonder too if that maybe gave him a sense of time because there's it never stops. There's no gaps. Yeah, exactly. Um, and the thing is, it's really hard, I think, especially for non-jazz drummers to understand how insanely quiet some of this stuff is that you actually would yeah. never. It's almost felt but not heard. There's this sense of forward locomotion that Elvin has in his playing, but it's not in your face. Yeah. Oh, it would be You'd so almost have annoying to be, if you played it like all right. oh, even at like half strokes, it would be annoying. Yeah, no, I don't want to hear I mean, try programming it because at one point I did program this stuff into software just to kind of see what it would sound like. Oh, my God. Or like if I do a transcription in finale and I just hit the play button just to see what it sounds like. You're like, oof, that is not even remotely close to what it sounds Right. Yeah. I mean, and I think that that's it's almost like the way that some of us keep our the back of our left foot going in time. 
where it's like, mm-hmm. it's not for you. It's it's not for a texture on the hat. It's just how I keep time. And I could yeah. see somebody like Elvin not even know. Like, I would imagine with a lot of this stuff, if you brought it up to Elvin at the time, he would be like, what are you talking about? I have yeah. no idea what you're talking about. Yeah. I just played gat, 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 gat. And it's like, well, you didn't. There was a lot more notes in there than that. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah. So I think it's something that you would have to then get the physicality down. And then once you can finally do something, anything that you're learning, and this is for all of you guys out there, when you can finally physically do something, please understand that you're not done. You actually just now started. Now it's about the feel and making it sound right and recording yourself and listening back to it. Playing it is really the easy part because there's no ambiguity. Well, that's a tough word. (laughs) Say it for me. (laughs) Ambiguity. (laughs) Ambiguity. (laughs) Ambiguity. There's no ambiguity. Wow, we haven't had a kick snat hair in a while. (laughs) So there's no ambiguity in the... uh, but no, in learning something, there's no ambiguity. God darn it. Um, there's, it's so clear. What Do the it. hell the are you saying? Are right <laughs> Shut up. Uh, uh, when you're learning something, it's very clear. Do what's on the page. Right. Okay. What's hard is once you can do that, that's when it's like, well, how do you make it feel good? How do you make it sound good? And who is it? there to yeah. judge that? Yeah, that is. that's definitely the... The last step that is impossible to teach, you know, that's, and that's yeah. always the question that I get asked, like, well, how do I then do that? Or someone might see something I did and like, well, how do I do that? I'm like, well, that's the last step. Like, I don't know how I did it because I just right. spent time, so much time practicing it. So it becomes just a part of what I do that when I just sit down to play, those little things just start sprinkling out. Now, what well, here's the other thing. Oh, go ahead. I'll say what I've started doing recently, which is probably more for advanced players is I'll record myself just freeform playing, listen back and find something that I did that I don't know what I did or why I did it or how I did it. And then I create a practice routine out of that. Nice. So I just do something that's kind of just what the heck was that? It's usually some kind of a double stroke inside of a triplet or whatever, just some thing. Right. And I just transcribe myself and that kind of leads me down a whole different path. It's still, I could still trace it back to where I got that from, probably Philly right. Joe Jones or something, but it doesn't start with an idea on a page is the opposite. I take something that I just spewed out that may or not have been accurate, and then I figure out how to practice it. Right. That's kind of where I, how I've now transitioned into finding my own stuff rather than always opening books and things like that. But yeah, I mean, and and even that, it's still vocabulary. You know, even on the next step of that is what did it emotionally convey, and can you recreate that emotion mm-hmm. with different patterns you know it's yeah, like, and why yeah. did you do it there and why did it work there because there's definitely been things that i've played in maybe a, a drum festival or something where it was like wait the crowd clapped for that i got woos for that that was <laughs> yeah. throwaway that was nothing but it's like then i listen back and i'm like oh yeah after everything i was doing that little thing really stood out but it you know when you're in that mindset you're like but it wasn't even hard why yeah. would they clap yeah, you right. know and then it's like oh because it actually touch them and, and you know going back and figuring that stuff out now, i think for you as a teacher oh, this mm-hmm. this is kind of the the line that i straddle like sometimes i don't want to go on a on a deep dive on one idea because i don't want it to turn into like variation one through 100 that i then pull out of my my mental book and play right sometimes it's just things That's, i do that i'm like i'm going to just leave it and only do that way that one thing because it sounds cool and i don't want to really even know what i'm doing if i did i'd be like oh right. it's actually a seven or something like that but right yeah yeah but as a teacher no, I, I can see that not really being very a good approach <laughs> yeah the, as as a teacher you're always overly present because yeah. you know at any moment somebody could say what was that and i can't allow to ever not have the answer that's true it's my job and uh i don't i don't fault weckle if i'm in a clinic and somebody says what was that and he's like honestly i have no idea i was just playing i'm actually cool with it it's like well you're an artist i'm fine with that Mm -hmm. but once you get up there and you tell me like i am an educator i kind of expect you know what you're doing and and even then when you don't know what you're doing you still need to have a lesson on that on yeah, what it's like right. to clear yourself because that's a gift you can give to other people. Really, as a as an educator, my job is to give people these gifts of, here's the gift of bass drum freedom. Now you have that. Mm-hmm. You had to put in the time, you had to put in the work, but I unlocked the door for you. And here's the gift of speed. And I want to keep 
growing myself as growing as a musician personally so that I can give people the gift of creativity, the gift of timekeeping, the things that I'm still working on mm-hmm. uh, and definitely the gift of getting rid of self-doubt and just being okay with who you are as a player. So uh, for some people, that actually is the opposite of what you were saying. For some people, they have to have three or four licks that they know verbatim will always work because landing their trick every time gives them confidence rather than the uneasy feeling of, well, I know I've got a fill that's two beats long. Here we go. Yeah. And then it's just like, (laughs) go hands, go. (laughs) Yeah. It's just Sean White uh, in the, uh, 2000 what 14 olympics where he just you know hit the top and wrecked on his tushy uh congrats to sean white for winning the gold that was awesome he killed it that was that was epic epic battle (laughs) that was nuts man actually seeing his trial run which i thought was like oh my gosh he's amazing i had no idea what he had in store for like yeah okay I'm going to go get a gold medal real quick, Mom. I'll be right back. <laughs> well, I mean, the first Bam! his first run, I was like, okay, it's over. And then that kid from Japan was like, no, it ain't. <laughs> I'm what taking over. <laughs> He's 17, right? 17, 19? I don't know, but you definitely. Oh, so maybe 19. Yeah, I think he came young. on the scene when he was 17. But oh, that, okay. Now, if I could interview anyone in the world right now, it'd probably be that 19-year-old kid. Because I need to know, how are you so calm? Aren't yeah. you freaking out? It's probably just I think useful though, ignorance. I was going to say, I bet Sean is way more freaked out now than he was when he was in his first Olympics because he doesn't know any better. Yeah, it's got all now the he knows yeah. I can get hurt, like legitimately get hurt, and yeah. it takes a while to recover. I can be embarrassed. Uh, my branding could go down. Maybe I won't sell as many clothes at Target next year because <laughs> yes, I fell true. on my ass. Totally. Totally. True. And it's all, and it's like, so to see him crush it with that on his plate, that's way more impressive to me than when he did it eight years ago yeah. uh, in his first gold medal. And it's just, well, that took a turn. Let's talk about, <laughs> let's talk about <laughs> our feature artist. Uh, so yeah, check out the uh, Using Syncopation to Play in the Style of Elvin Jones yeah, there's, article there's, in the March you know, There's a handful of different variations. He talks about some other parlor rhythm ideas, but that was the, the first one to kind of get your feet wet, is try alternating the rhythm of syncopation with your feet while filling in the triplets with a left hand. That'll From Elvin Jones to Sean White. Beautiful. <laughs> so we do here. All right. <laughs> Featured artist, Ulysses Owens Jr. Whew. Uh, s- talking about somebody that could probably shed some light on this, uh, not to mention he's a, uh, a, a fantastic player. If you guys haven't seen him play in his own group, it, he has his own trio, and then he also uh, is in the Christian McBride trio. But this is the real deal. Yeah. I mean, Ulysses is the real deal. And he's young. You said, how, how old did you say he was? 35? 35, I believe. But I think he's been with with McBride for seven years or so. I mean, he's one of those, you know, time goes by so quick where we think he's still a new guy. But, I mean, he's been, he's probably been in Christian McBride's band longer than Tony was with Miles Davis. Wow. <laughs> you know? Crazy, man. Crazy. <laughs> and talk about somebody that, really seems to and i don't know him at all but seems to have a very solid image of self as far as he plays how he plays he's proud of it he's not trying to keep up with some internet drum scene that exists he's in his own world and he's and he does it and he pushes himself but i mean just playing wise it's just it's a treat to listen to him because obviously when we listen to past jazz masters a lot of times we're listening to very old recordings and we're trying to discern what's going on which can have its own nostalgic feel for sure but it is nice to hear that style with a little bit of modern playing mm-hmm. and then put into modern drumming uh, <clears throat> modern recordings as well yeah that's true i think he won a grammy with with mcbride this year too so congrats to you yeah he's that. like multi multi-time grammy winner yeah uh, awesome this dude's fairly accomplished. Um, I'm excited. So I think his newest album, Falling Forward, I think it's coming out this year, but it's not out yet because I looked for it. I was able to find little clips of it on his website and on Vimeo and stuff, but I haven't. I couldn't find it on iTunes, so I don't think it's out yet. Yeah, or if it, it is, it, it should be soon because that's we did the story in the March issue kind of hinging on that release date. It might have got pushed back a bit, so it should be. If it's not out and now, it should be soon. Yeah, because, um, yeah, even on his website, you can't click on it, but you can definitely uh, check out Onward and Upward and um, also check out uh, the first album that I heard him do, because I think you guys re- reviewed it like 
five or six years ago was uh, unanimous and mm-hmm. and that has Christian McBride on it has Nicholas Payton and that that was where I that was my first time really hearing of him just as a West Coast guy I didn't know who he was and I was blown away yeah for me and this is another one of those guys that'll get you into jazz if you're somebody if you're somebody that's maybe a rock drummer and you're like yeah I'm really not into jazz Ulysses will bring you in yeah that's definitely I mean because he's really tied in with the tradition which I think is important because it's you know the the current trend in jazz is to kind of push it more into a fusion and, and a mixing of styles where Ulysses I think is kind of you can you can hear the Philly Joe you can hear the Donnie Williams you yeah. can hear the Lewis Nash you can kind of hear where he's taken that kind of precise on top of the beat feel uh, yeah. but made it made it his own there's a great video of his band recorded at dizzy's club in new york uh so youtube ulysses owens jr three uh reuben rogers joel ross live at dizzy's 2017 it's the whole show it's a whole set so you can watch his band it's vibes bass and drums super cool awesome yeah and um Check out anything you can on him just because even hearing him speak, I mean, this guy knows exactly what he's talking about. And he's got, I don't know, I obviously I judge public speaking probably more than I judge drumming just because I want to see how I'm always curious to be like, could you possibly be an amazing artist and actually be a normal person? Because I don't think you can. <laughs> at least that's my excuse. When I when I look at my, my own playing, I'm normal, like, though. <laughs> yeah. But when when this guy speaks and when he talks to a camera, I mean, he's very eloquent and really knows what he's talking about. And he's, yeah, and he's for another 35 uh, year old drummer. He's another awesome. another jazz guy who went to Tama. I think I think Peter Erskine kind of created a heck of a wake with that move. I think it opened everyone's eyes in the drumming community, not, and I don't mean the consumer community because obviously it did that, but I think in the artist community, we were like, wait, what? Yeah. What do you mean, Peter? And, and cause I don't know. When Vinny went to Ludwig, it didn't really, it, it did actually, it caused a little bit of a wave, but it was more of like a huh? Yeah. Because it seemed almost like a lateral move. Ludwig and Gretsch have a very similar thing and they have a similar history and a similar past. Yeah. But when Peter went to Tama, it was like, wait, wait, no, Tama only makes rock drums in our head. That's how they branded themselves to us. Yeah. And so it was like, what are you talking? And I remember Peter had just made the move right before I did the uh, UK drum show with him. So I think it was 2015 or 2016 UK drum show. And I remember thinking like, I can't wait to hear Peter play these drums. And they sounded incredible. And I, I hear nothing but great things from people that are, you know, getting into the higher end of Tom and they're like, dude, they'll do whatever you want. They're very versatile drums. Yeah. Um, I mean, that star series is, is, is up there with the best of the best for sure. I mean, yeah, blew me away when I, I saw them debuted an AM show a couple of years ago. They had like a, a private party for people to come check the kits out in a ballroom, no mics. I think Adam Deitch might've played and one of the Japanese artists played, those drums sounded insane with no mics. It was unbelievable. So. Well, yeah, I mean, if you've got legit jazz cats, you know, uh, like Ulysses Owens Jr. playing them, and then legends like Peter Erskine, and then everyone in between, like Matt Garska and Anna Canellis, then it's it's going to say a lot about it. Now, uh, definitely, guys, know that this guy is massively talented because he's got his own production company, and I think he's produced like over thirty albums. So yeah, he's not just pretty insane playing. He's he's in the scene, and once again, just to think about playing on all of these albums, playing with uh, with legends like Christian McBride, and then producing all at 35. Like, yeah. Damn. I mean, I would be happy doing one tour with Christian McBride and retiring. <laughs> that would yeah. be it. Like, Dude, I'm good. I did I'd it. Be happy, <laughs> I'd be happy filling in for the fourth drummer that got sick with Nicholas Payton <laughs> and be like, okay, I know it's worst case scenario, but yeah, I got your back. But at least I got the gig. Um, so yeah, it's... Uh, <laughs> One of those gigs where when it's over, no one shakes your hand. You're just like, all right, I'll go home now. (laughs) Yeah, they're like, hey, uh, thanks for not ruining the night. That's how good you were. You barely didn't ruin the night. But anyways, so definitely, guys, check out Ulysses Owens Jr. You can find him. uh, You can go to his own website, which is just usojazzy.com. And you can obviously find him on YouTube as well. It's U-L-Y-S-S-E-S, Ulysses Owens Jr. Definitely a, a name to be. I mean, it's it's not going to go away anytime soon. So it's 
you know, it's a good time to check him out. He's got some some lessons and stuff online too. There's there's tons of, of really cool stuff. So check him out. Absolutely. All right, you want to get into some gear? Yeah. So I think I hinted at this weird thing months ago. The Dream Reaffects Naughty Saucer, which is a it's great name. It's an amazing name. I don't know how a saucer can be naughty, but I guess it is. <laughs> I can tell you right now, if you're from uh, the UK, anything can be naughty. Naughty. <laughs> so and so, this is. I would love to have somebody from over there call this thing the naughty saucer because it would sound much cooler. Yeah. So um, essentially, but, what it is, it's a 14 inch. They took a like a recycled symbol, cut the bell out, cut the edge out. So you've got this like. It's a pretty wide disc. I think it's like almost six in the hole in the middle is like about six inches. Yep. But the whole thing fits on a fourteen inch snare drum or a floor tom. Or you can hang it on a cymbal, do whatever you want. But it's heavy. It's not like a super thin, trashy thing. So it's adding like a pretty strong metallic tone to whatever you do. Uh, and this was designed with our boy Scotty P, right? That's right. Scott Pellingram. Yep. It's one of his his uh crazy concoctions. Um, so let me ask you this real quick. Mm-hmm. It looks like it's not complete. It's not a flat disc, right? It does have a little bow to it. It's got a lot of bow to it. It's it's oh, it does got the shape of a symbol. I don't, I don't think they're okay. flattening it out at all. So it doesn't okay. it doesn't sit flat on the drum and like completely deaden it. It's so imagine guys the top of your fourteen inch set of hi hats and then just get rid of the bell and one extra inch. Yeah, that's exactly. what this thing looks like. Yeah, exactly. And it's pretty heavy. I think it, it each one's going to be different. I think depending on whatever recycled symbol they're using, but. Mm. It's pretty neat. I actually enjoyed it most having it hanging on the ride symbol. Like just That's funny. You know what? Uh, my enjoyment of you playing it most was can you guess what it was? Floor Tom? No. It, it's definitely a, a I would uh just so we don't go through all you did a lot on the video. So guys, go head over to <laughs> moderndrummer.com to check this out because uh he really went through how many ways you could use this one little thing. But I loved it the most in between your hi-hats. Oh, when it started it, sticking out like a tongue? <laughs> yeah. But no, it, literally when you opened your hi-hats, if I didn't see what you were doing, that would be one of those Matt Chamberlain moments where I would go, I don't know what that is. Yeah, I can't achieve true. that sound. But it would never occur to me that you had something sticking in between your two hi-hats. So yeah. if you were tracking and somebody wanted a really, really thick texture of hi-hats but didn't want you to over overdub nine uh, sets. This is something where it was like no one would know what you were doing. It was really cool. Yeah, that's true. I mean, I had the tilter maybe a little bit too extreme, so every time I opened it, the naughty saucer slid out like another half inch. Or so. right. <laughs> <laughs> I think if it would have been completely flat, it would have stayed inside. Or what I found is if you use larger hi hats, fifteens and sixteens, it it stays inside them a little bit better. These were fourteens in the video, right. so there, there was nothing to kind of keep them from just like vibrating out. But it was fun. But yeah. Gritty and stuff. I think I think um, Dream did a really good job on this as far as when you're trying to get these sounds, and maybe you, you, correct me if, if you think I'm wrong, but when you're trying to get these sounds, I don't think people want a flawless, perfect product because it, it doesn't seem homemade enough. Yeah, this has yeah. the look of like, no, I'm just, I'm doing this. And yeah, I think yeah. sometimes, though it's it's weird, I think the big fat snare drum is a great example of they crushed it harder than it could have ever been crushed, but there will still be people that'll say, no, I'm just going to put nine napkins on my snare yeah, because I, I want people to think that I did this. Yep. I didn't buy a product for it. And I think Dream crushed it with this. By the way, I don't want to dog out. Big Fat Snare Drum like, literally solved a problem for every drummer on the planet and crushed it as hard as possible. Yeah. Uh, but I think that homemade thing of like, what did you do? Kind of what Index is doing. Like, hey, we'll make the product for you, but it does look like you made it at home. That's true. Yeah, the beer can there's gonna always stuff. Yeah, there's always going to be people that just dig that thing. And I think the dream thing, it's like, it's well made, but it still looks kind of like maybe you did it yourself, which is rad. Yeah. Yeah. The one that I, I got is, has a clear weld. I mean, you can see it where they had to seal up the crack. <laughs> That's so awesome. It's cool. I mean, it so has okay. A, wait, when you say these are recycled symbols, you're not saying they're like melting down the shavings and making new symbols out of this. These are old symbols. Yeah, they're just collecting. So when they do the recycle, so if you have a broken symbol or a symbol you don't use, take it to a dream dealer. They will give you credit for every inch of that symbol. So mm. all that stuff gets. They don't send it off to a a bronze whatever factory to melt it down. Mm-hmm. They just. Cut oh. them up, make new stuff. They cut them. So, so cool. So the bell of whatever this 
this naughty saucer, what used to be the bell, they probably turned it into one of those effects bells like we gave away at Pace It. Oh, that's so and cool. And then they turned the rest of the symbol into one of these things. Man. It's pretty neat. Look at I that. dig what they're doing. I love it. Well, let's uh, let's give it a listen. So that, I'm not sure, what did I show you? Uh, we grabbed the first minute. So it starts out on the ride symbol, and then I take it over to the crash ride on the left, and then finally on top of the hi-hat. So you can check out the rest of it at moderndrummer.com. If you want to buy one, they cost about 85 bucks. Yeah. Totally worth it. Seems it. like it'd be a cool thing just to have in the front pouch of your, of your symbol bag, because you never know when you're going to need that thing. And I, I think all of us... I don't know where we all got it from, but I think we all started putting the splash on our symbol about or the splash on our um, on our snare about 15 years ago to get that white noise sound. Yeah, right. Um, but it, that's about all you can do with it. And then with something like this, you like you said, because that hole's so big in the middle, you can just throw it on the ride and it, it'll be fine. And you can um, and you were saying uh, or you showed that even though it's a 14 inch symbol, it's still undersized enough that it fits inside the snare drum rim. Right? Totally. Yeah. I put it on the snare. I put it on the 14 inch floor tom and it, it sat inside the, the counter hoop easily. Definitely. Awesome. Love it. We'll check it out. All right. Let's get into some listener questions. <laughs> All right. <laughs> All right. This first one uh, comes from Joe and over in the UK. So what advice would you have in terms of traveling with expensive gear, such as an SPD-SX? It looks uh, like he's got to travel and take his backing track system, which is the SPD-SX. Yeah, I mean, I, I'd probably go with an SKB uh, hard case. I'm sure they make a case for it, right? I'm pretty sure they do, and I think uh, Protection Racket does as well. It's kind yeah. of designed for that. I don't know. I mean, I, I would yeah, I mean, ultimately want to carry it on if possible. That would be my... Yeah, First. it'll definitely fit. Um, you could get a soft case and carry it on or just keep it in a bag and keep it with you. The only problem, it, it depends on your traveling. For me, since, uh, you know, if I'm going, say, to, to Spain, they're probably going to get me some very cheap flights. So I've got like four connections and it can get a little rough mm. carrying my cymbal bag oh, right. around or, yeah. or a snare bag, I would say, because I do carry my snare with me. Uh, so, but yeah, just think of it this way. Uh, I don't know why I can't speak. People, <laughs> <laughs> what the hell just happened? I have a stroke. That was weird. I was all, er, I'll I'll think I of it. This Skype I got messed up for a second. <laughs> no, I just. <laughs> That's like right after I put out my video on public speaking. Don't say um. Don't say you know. <laughs> speak like you know what the hell you're talking about. And then I just have a stroke. Anyways, swallow frequently. <laughs> people, people that have to do. Uh, I can't think of what the hell the word is. <laughs> Anyways, people that make videos, they take cameras on, uh, they ship their cameras all the time. Cameras are much more. What are we talking about? <laughs> I have no idea. <laughs> all right, I'm next just saying question. I'm, I'm, no, I'm always in the line with people that are shipping camera gear or uh, flying with camera gear, and they're checking it in, and they always have SKB hard cases. So they're, so they're, they're checking they it, do like, it under the plane. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Crush that. <laughs> That was a five-minute explanation of get an SB. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> All right, this one comes right. from Nick. He says, I have a vintage Ludwig kit that are single tension. 
Um, I currently have a two clear two ply batter head and a single ply clear resonant on the toms, but I'm wondering if it may be easier to tune if I use the same head on the top and bottom. Yeah, I don't think that would matter, would it? Well, I mean, there's single tension, so I mean, what I've found if you use a thicker head on top and a, and a thinner head on bottom, because I do have a free floating Sleichman drum that essentially is the same thing. The bottom head will just sound higher pitched because it's thinner. It's getting, it's oh, holding okay. more tension. So that might actually be what you want. But for wow. vintage drums, clear two ply batter head for me would not be my first choice. I would do right. a coated single ply top and bottom to get that yep, vintage sound. I totally sound. agree. Totally agree. Um, but yeah, those are always going to sound a little boxy, it's just the nature of it, it's just the way those drums, they kind of sound. But mm-hmm. yeah. But dang, they look cool. They are cool. They're definitely cool. I have a marching snare that is that that vibe, and you really can't get that old marching sound on anything that's not like that single tension. Right, it's just the it's sure. the sound. So yeah, anyway, man. so yeah, try single ply coated top and bottom. Um, this one comes from. Well, this is going to be an edit. That's about a will. I don't want to talk about a will. <laughs> edit here. <laughs> okay. I don't know if we'll have an opinion on that either. Okay, this one <laughs> this one comes from Neil. It says, I recently bought a Pearl Session Studio Classic kit, which has a blend of birch and Kapoor shells. I'm not familiar with Kapoor. Do you know much about it? I hope you do, because I've never even heard of it being used in a drum. Yeah. But I do know that the Pearl Session series is always a killer kit, so... I believe, I mean, I don't remember, but I'm pretty sure this is a native Japanese wood, which makes sense why Pearl and Tama would be using it. And Yamaha. Yamaha's using it as well. So from my experience, and actually I just heard Tama put out a new uh, SLP Kapoor kit, um, and they put a video up demoing it. It's it's definitely a dark, punchy kind of sound. It's mahogany-like, but maybe with a little more, you know, like a contemporary kind of snap, more like a walnut or something. So I think it's I think it's an, it's a way to get that mahogany sound using wood that's native to where they're being built essentially. Hmm. I wonder where uh, on the on the pearl sessions. I wonder where those plies are in the like. Is it a sandwich where the outer and inner are maple, mm. um, or is the kapoor the inner ply giving you the most sound? Uh, so it'd be interesting yeah. to find that out. But that's that's cool. I've never even heard of that wood being used. So it's really cool to. Here that's getting some use. Yeah, I think it's in the what's the top of the line uh, Yamaha kit that has like all the, the mix series and mix. Oh, the Phoenix. Yeah, I think it's in the Phoenix. It's definitely okay. in that. It's Pearl's using it. Like I said, Tama just put it out, so it, it must be a pretty plentiful hardwood in in Asia that they can they can get the the mahogany vibe without having to ship in mahogany right. from South America or whatever. Awesome, um, well, guys. Thanks for your question. Are we doing one more? Well, yeah. Why not? You dropped a numb on me. Um, <laughs> um, you know, you know what I mean. Um, I hate that one. I really hate that one. Uh, yeah, man, that's that's I almost hate. as bad as side hustle. <laughs> yeah. Oh, and by the way, so okay, since we have a little extra time, did you see the video I made about public speaking? It was like forty seconds. I did. Long. It was. I saw it on Instagram. Okay. Yep. Okay. Perfect. So. The third thing I mentioned was saying he or she, inst- yep. unless you're specifically talking about a male subject. Yep. Now the re- And then some people came back and said, just so you know, they is the preferred pronoun for all gender types. My thing was this. Mm. They still, well, first of all, doesn't work. They, we've got a long way to go before we get there. Let's that start with he work. and she. Yeah, it doesn't work. But they visually, in my mind, conjures up a group of people. When I say he or she it conjures up in the audience's mind an individual that they can put themselves in the place of. That's why I say he or she when it comes to public speaking, because I might be, if I'm referring to myself and a student, I say he or she. And then that way, every girl in the room, every female can put themselves in that position and every male can put themselves in that position. When I say they, it's kind of, it's got that group feel to it. Yeah. And I think you know more about the language than I do. Do you agree or disagree? Well, I mean, I don't think it's a matter of agreeing or disagreeing. It's just grammatically correct. If you're talking about an individual. Well, that's what I mean. Use your freaking brain, Dawson. (laughs) You're smarter than I when it comes to this stuff. No, I have to change it all the time because it's definitely a. Most of our writers, they tend to use they instead of he or she, or they all just mm. use he. 
So we change it all the time. And I've found myself more and more often when I'm speaking using he or she, not even thinking about it anymore. It's just, it's become just what I have to say because it's, I think it's, right. you know, even if it's a room full of, of males, I think you still have to use he or she. Agree. Well, and the other thing is for me, I taught both men and women, or I've been teaching men and women and boys and girls my whole life. So when I speak, I am actually saying he or she, because in my mind, I'm thinking, well, this could be Sarah that I'm talking about, or this could be Jason. Yeah, totally. But they're they're already in my mind, so I'm not having to force myself to say it. So I just wanted to let people out there that came down on me like, you know, it's it's proper to say they. I'm like, no, no, no. I don't think you know what I'm actually talking about. I'm, I'm talking not about sure. public speaking. What are they talking about? Are they talking about gender identity? I think so. And yeah. just calling isn't what we're humans about they. And it's like, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about public speaking and putting the image in the mind of the listener that drumming is not a male thing. It's yeah. it's a human thing. And so it's just he or she. So, But I, I want to give them the individualism of he or she so they can be put in that position. Fourth question. All right. Last go. one. So this one comes from Mike. He says uh, he's referencing the snare drum demos that I do for the magazine and we've been dropping in. Uh, besides changing the tuning of the top head, do you also change the tuning of the snare side head or keep it the same, especially in regards to the lower tunings? Uh, I've probably demoed, I don't know, how many would I guess, 50 snare drums over the over the years? Maybe one or two I've changed. I had to change the bottom head when I go to that really low dead sound. In general, it's okay. extremely high. It's about as high as it can go before it starts to really choke out. Be a problem. <laughs> um, and it's you know actually the the only drums I find myself having to change are the ones vintage drums. If the really? if the snare bed is just not quite up to snuff, I'll have to detune it a little bit. But gotcha. I don't I don't change the bottom head. I don't know many people that do. I I do remember Sean Pelton. When I went to his studio, I was picking his brain about tuning. He actually tunes his bottom head pretty loose, like surprisingly loose. So when you hear him mm. play, his snare sound is a little bit thicker, almost boxier sounding. And that's mm-hmm. I think that's from the bottom head. So for me, I want the kind of most full-sounding, sensitive snare sound. I don't touch the bottom head. Yeah. Even I'm, when I'm it's like you. finger tight. I mean, it's it's still cranked on the bottom. Yeah, same. And I and I and mainly I think it's because I'm able to achieve the desired result that I want out of the tuning by not touching the bottom head. If I couldn't get the sound I wanted, then maybe I would look further and go, oh, let me mess with the bottom head. But yeah, um, you know, the top for some reason it's so easy to get it back to where I want it. But when I get the bottom head just right, I just leave it there for the next <laughs> five years. Uh, I've got so lazy, like with my bop kit. I had to do a little demo today where I was playing, you know, the really high jazz tuning, but also wanted to see what the mic sounded like if I went for a lower tuning. I didn't touch the bottom head even still. I just turned tuned the top head down half a turn per lug, and I got straight into that, like, deep, fat sound. And the bottom head was high. So, yeah, I, I mean, I, there you go. I think once you kind of get the drum in a good spot, then you can just start messing around and not worry about the bottom head too much. Love it. All right. Well, guys, please keep sending in your... Questions. Okay, here's a last grammatical thing. Okay. When I say guys, I mean humans, not men. But yeah. should I switch to that to guys and gals? Um, you know what? This is just a personal thing. I don't like guys at all. I don't like the term. What What would you say for everyone? Everyone? Everyone, yeah. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna, if you could strike that from the record, I didn't actually ask that. <laughs> All right, everyone. What word would you Please use send for in. everyone? I would use the word everyone. <laughs> yeah, there we go. Uh, crushing it today. Batting a thousand, Johnston. Uh, everyone, please keep sending in your questions to mdinfo at moderndrummer.com. We love hearing from you guys, from everyone. And if you can, let us know where everyone is from because well, it you is can use cool you. We- you can use you there. Okay. Let us know where Thanks. you're from. <laughs> you're from. <laughs> Holy hell, I'm done speaking. All right, let's All right. get into the picks of the week. Send your questions to mdinfo at moderndrummer.com. We'll be sure to not answer them. Perfect. <laughs> if we do, we'll take a left turn. All right, what is your pick, sir? All right, my pick of the week is the drum tax um, dampening muffler things, whatever you want to call them. <laughs> <laughs> Sound control pads, I think, is what they actually call them. <laughs> so Beautiful. What I like about drum tacks over most of the other commercially available muffling devices at they, is that they have neoprene on top. It's black, 
so nothing sticks to the top of it. You don't get stick dust all over it. If you take it off and put it back in the case, they don't they don't stick to each other and get all gross. They don't mm. like I've had some of the clear gels absorbing the blue ink out of a moon gel. So now I've got this kind of purple, gross looking snot ball <laughs> on my drum. <laughs> so That's drum awesome. tacks to me. So are you're just saying they're clean. not they're not tacky on top. They're only tacky on one side. Yeah, it's super tacky on the cool. bottom, and then the top is a neoprene disc, so it it doesn't stick. Your your sticks won't stick to it. Your brushes won't stick to it. You put it in, in your cases. The, the if you have a fleece case, that won't stick to it. It won't come off. Um, so I really like them. You can also put them on cymbals. Like if you want to just subtly dampen a ride cymbal, put it up near sure. the bell, underside of the bell. Um, I think they're more tacky than most uh, muffling pads. So they, I've never had one fly off. Like once it's on there, it's on there. So simple little That's thing. Cool. I would definitely check them out. Um, you can go to drumtax.com. I believe they're distributed by Big Bang. So any any major dealer probably has them. Yeah. Um, check them out. Drum tax. Sound go. control pads. That's what they call them. <laughs> I kind of like sticky muffling thingies, <laughs> but you know, you're you're the one with the degree, so do whatever you want. Uh, okay, are you ready for this? All right, give me it. Okay. So uh, my pick of the week is by a company called ClickFi. It's C L I Q U E F I E. ClickFi. And it's a selfie stick. What? Now slow down. Slow down, <laughs> East Coast. I didn't I've never if you go to my photos on my phone, there's a category for selfies. You will see nothing in there. I've never posted a picture. I've never taken a picture of myself. Uh at least unless somebody else was in it and they were like, "Can we take a selfie?" Yes, of course. Uh I got this for videos. I've been videoing and, and vlogging a lot more lately, uh, and it's really hard to hold my camera in front of my face, and I definitely can't do it with my real cameras. Like my Canon C100s, they weigh seven pounds. Yeah. So I, I could never do that. Uh, but the iPhone or any smartphone has a pretty wide lens. It's probably maybe a 20 mil to a 35 mil as far as the distance from the lens to your face. So it's... It's a it's a decently wide lens and you can get yourself and everything in it. But holding it up while I'm walking down the street and trying to give a three minute speech is tough. So having a selfie stick, a quality selfie stick actually helps a lot. Stop it. I mean, Stop. do you have the glitter selfie stick? Don't be don't be don't do that. You here, I'll show you there. There's mine. I don't have glitter. I have the what graphite. Oh, okay? that's, that's a lot bigger than I thought it would be. Is that it's, the okay. ClickFi Max? Is that what it's called? I'm trying to find no, the, the model. I have, look at that, boom. That looks like a nightstick that you would smack that right? crap out of somebody with. Yeah, that's what I'm trying to tell you. is Because <laughs> my studio is located in South Folsom. That's the hardcore part oh, of, yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Trust me, when it gets down to 68 degrees around here, people get upset. Are going and you need crazy. to have a, a club. Um, no, this is the mini selfie stick. And okay. it'll fit any phone in the world. But it, like I said, once you start making videos with it, then you'll understand why I got it. I already threw away the Bluetooth little device that allows you to remotely take pictures of yourself. Not doing that ever. Um, the other thing that's really cool about it is on the bottom here, it's got the thread for any tripod. So you can throw it on a tripod if you want. And it works great for that. Um, if you have, like that's I do, cool. a mini tripod that's like a little desk mounted thing for yep. your phone. And you can never get that high enough. Yep. Now you screw this into that. That's what and I'm then using right now go. for my microphone. And it's too yeah, low. So, and you could literally raise this up and, and get your microphone wherever you want it. Um, and then it bends at the top. So I know it sounds silly. I got mine at the Apple store. I was getting a new phone. And I thought, you know what? That would really solve a lot of problems. And the other thing is the videos are so much more smooth while using this than they are when I'm just trying to hold my arm up and my arm's getting tired and it's falling down. So yeah, true. Uh, definitely, I know it's silly and I, I well, truly... Well, I mean, if it wasn't called have, a selfie stick, there would be no right. no issues. It's only 25 That's, bucks, which is pretty cool. Yeah, it's great. And, and, then, and then if you saw the one, the Max one, the Max one has like a little little tripod legs that come out of the bottom of it and that one's only 49 bucks. Nice. And it looks so, like it extends over 28 inches, which is cool. Yeah, this thing is pretty rad. I mean, the video footage I'm able to get is totally worth me embarrassing myself by recommending a selfie stick. 
<laughs> you have you guys have to know everyone has to know that I was coming in here going like oh crap my pick of the week's a selfie stick <laughs> yeah, this isn't going to go this is a selfie stick I know uh anyways the the click five film yourself what is the puck smoothly stand? stick they got some other stuff what's the puck yeah no stand? this company's this stuff is like legitimately well made um and I I was really stoked on it um I don't know what the puck stand is I don't all I know is I'm using a film yourself stick by ClickFi. <laughs> All right, <laughs> and so uh, you're not allowed to take pictures with it. <laughs> oh, the 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 puck has a 360 rotation. It's like a disc that you put your phone in, and it'll rotate. There you so go. You can easily do like a panorama. Cool. I don't need that Good for stuff. videos, but maybe the no, you do not. But I'm I'm telling you, uh, especially if you're someone that's going to start vlogging and actually speaking to the camera, yeah, this is really really helpful. And I don't know what it is, but having that camera off of your actual arm, it it just the videos are so much smoother. And so it's it's been great. I've I've, I've used it quite a bit lately, and I feel like I'm able to speak to my fans and my followers much easier with this than I was when I was like, ah, I want to film myself talking, but I can't, my camera's like seven pounds. So it's worth it. But let's talk about camera angle. How high do you go with the camera when you're doing just like a, a talk, a vlog? If I'm talking, it's, it's pretty much almost straight on, maybe two to three inches higher than my eye level. Um, okay. And when you're speaking to the camera like that, don't get into the rule of thirds thing. Don't be on the side of it. Be straight in the middle of it. And there's a distance that's the distance is more important than the height and the angle. If you're too close to the lens, you're going to creep people out because Mm. it's just too close. They might be watching this on their computer screen, you know. So and if you're too far away, they can't actually make any decent eye contact with you and they can't connect to what you're saying. So play around with the distance. That's why this film yourself stick is pretty awesome because it's uh, telescoping so you can actually change the distance. You can bring it in closer or push it away further. Dig it. All right. 30% off if you go there and get one right now. (laughs) (laughs) Use the promo code. Uh, I'm just kidding. We don't have a promo code. uh, Someday, someday if you guys keep rating this podcast and giving us them five stars, we'll uh, we'll be able to do that kind of stuff. All right, right, everybody. Have an amazing, amazing day. Yeah. Tom Alderson is our closing beat. So thanks, Tom, for sending mm-hmm. it in. And yeah, mdinfo, moderndrummer.com. Send, we have a couple audio questions we still have yet to drop in, but that'd be cool to get some more of those. Send us your beats. Yeah. Send us your regular questions, recommendations, whatever. It all sounds good, everyone. Have a great day. Brother, I will talk to you soon. All right. Here's Tom.